Praise the Lord. I'm happy to be a child of God tonight. I'm so glad that he knows us. Knows our name. Knows our needs. He knew this day before the foundation of the world. It's hard for us to imagine. Brother Brown simplified it and yet made it so profound that he knew every flea, every fly. He knew every gnat and every time, how many times it would bat its eyes in its lifetime and how much tallow that it would make. And Jesus said, there's not even a little sparrow that would fall to the ground that your father does not know about. How much more value are we as the children of God? Amen. Don't you appreciate a loving, wonderful father like that? It's one thing that people misunderstand about him is that they think, well, a father like that, why in the world would he ever let you go through trials? Because he is a father like that. You see, we judge him by parental love and we say, oh, no, I, I never let my children go through anything. I don't know whatever they want. That's probably why we got the generation of young people that we got because we spoiled them. God don't want to spoil his so much. He wants to raise them in character and make them to be like him. God bless you. Let's read tonight, if you would, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. I've, I've been enjoying this. I hope you have. <clears throat> I believe we're um, all wise enough in the Lord and been saved long enough for the most part to be able to understand that we are living in the last days. That's been talked about and said for, for many, many years, even Peter, in the first epistle, I believe chapter 4, verse 7, and Peter says, for the end of all things is at hand. You imagine 2,000 years ago saying such a statement. Now, at hand doesn't mean it's tomorrow, or it doesn't mean it's five minutes from now, but it means that it's from where you're looking at it, and for, from, for them, the end of many of the world that they knew, it was at hand right there. And here we are saying the same thing 2,000 years later. But we have things we can say that Paul, nor Peter, nor John, nor James, now listen carefully, nor even Brother Branham, could say that we are this close. Brother Branham in the 60s is saying it's close, it's close, it's coming. But he told us, remember you young people, if I go... You remember my voice telling you thus and so and thus and so and thus and so will happen. We have seen it with our eyes. We're blessed, aren't we? Let's read now what Paul said. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. I was reading a poll this week that the first time in American history since they've been keeping records, church attendance has fell below 50% of the population of those who claim to be Christians. Now, it's amazing, and I looked at that chart and how that during the times of depression and World War I, World War II, Korean conflict, Vietnam War, all that, how that church attendance would pick up 
And whenever, you know, 9-11, different things happen, and it really provokes people to go to church. But Americans have reached the lowest number that it has ever been. Churches are closing right and left. I ain't just talking about message churches now, but I'm talking about churches as a whole. In order to be able to survive, many churches are actually leasing out their buildings for daycare, for all different types of things, because they cannot stay afloat. Why? The Word of God says, the end will not come, except there come a falling away. But I've got news for the devil, and news for you tonight, in case you don't know it. We are not falling in a falling away. Enoch didn't, Noah didn't, Jonah didn't, Abraham didn't. So it's, that's our family tree. I'm not denying there isn't a falling away, but for me and my house, we're not falling away in a falling away. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we so love you tonight. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity that we have that has been given to us once again that we can assemble ourselves together. And Lord, we do indeed count it a privilege. Father God, looking at the times and seeing the things that are around us, Lord, our, our poor people of this age, I cannot imagine how they must be feeling. It's no wonder that anxiety levels are the highest that's ever been known. And I was reading just this week, Lord, where that doctors, psychiatric doctors and psychological doctors and all different types of doctors are so concerned with the minds and the mentality of people coming out of this time of COVID because they feel like there's so many people that are falling through the cracks. And in the next few years, that all these psychopaths will begin to come out of this difficult time. Lord, we're so glad that while they're looking for such negative things to come, we are looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus. I cannot imagine tonight looking just with the eyes of the natural, just with theological eyes or doctorate eyes, what we would be looking at tonight. But we are looking by the eyes of faith and knowing that the coming of our Lord Jesus is closer than when we first believed. We love you tonight, Father. We pray that you speak to us from your word. In the name of the word himself, we ask the Lord Jesus. Amen. And the saints said... God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Let me read to you this quote that we've been reading for several services, if you don't mind. I realize that a lot of the message churches anymore, you know, some of the different ones that you hear about, really don't like you reading quotes, and they really don't like you making references to the prophet of God. But uh, I honestly have to say I have a problem with their attitude. Uh, You know, Paul told Timothy, he said, not to be ashamed of the gospel that he said, or to be ashamed of him, his messenger. And I just don't understand people not wanting to be identified with the very message that they say set them free and liberated them. So to me, as long as I'm here as your pastor, I feel like that we ought to be able to identify with the words which God has spoken out of this man's lips. Because as we go on every day, I see more and more and more of those words being fulfilled. 
Listen to this. He said, you want some preacher, you women, that will not condemn you for the way you dress and live. Somebody that will pat you people on the back and tell you you can do this, that, and the other. You can act like the world, live like the world. Oh, my. And still maintain your confession of Christ. You're wanting those things. You vote it. You vote a godly man out of your community. To get a man like that in there, it's the desire. It's the spirit of the nation. It's the spirit of the last days to want to confess and hold your confession. I'm this, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Methodist, Baptist, or if I can go ahead and add on and say that I'm in the message and I still hold to that and live any way that you want to. Now, is there anybody here tonight without any pressure without any pressure from me, without any pressure from the deacons, from the Sunday school teachers, from the rest of the preachers, from the trustees, anybody just on your own accord, that you are willing to raise your hand and say that you see and know and can identify people that are your friends, your family, people you work with that are just exactly the way the prophet of God described this decades ago. That they want to live any way they want to live, but yet they still want to say, well, I'm a Baptist, I'm as good as you are. I'm a Pentecostal, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a message believer, I believe this and that and the other, and yet they want to live the way they want to live. Now, why can we say that? Because no doubt when Brother Branham said this in 1963 in Investments in Phoenix, that there was people there, and no doubt there was people maybe even attending the meeting that night when he said it, but how much more are there in the hour that we live in? Because the spirit of the last days, which is so prevalent, is going to become more dominant as we go on in time. But what I find amazing is that it's a great time of paradox in that there's going to be people like this and there will be more and more and more of them and there will be less and less and less of people who desire to not only have a profession, I'm a Christian, I'm a, you know, I believe in election, I believe in the calling of God, but yet I also believe there's a life that I have to live to match that word. Even though there will be less and less. I also believe that by that same prophetic word, their insight and their stand in the word of God would be just as strong as the loose, the indifferent, the compromised, the satanic people that are worshiping the devil. I don't believe the saints of God are going to get weaker and weaker and more feeble and they're, they're barely, barely hanging on and pray for me that I can hang on to Sunday and then pray for me I'll turn in a prayer request on Sunday. Pray for me that I'll, I'll be able to hang on to Wednesday. No. I believe that I can be the, ch- the kind of child of God that when I get up in the morning that the devil down in hell goes to shaking in his boots because I live through another day. 
I'm not going to be the kind of child of God that barely, barely hangs on and then whenever I get there that day and I stand before the Lord Jesus that he will give to me a t-shirt and say I survived Laodicea. I am more than a survivor. I am a conqueror. I am more than able to absolutely face everything that will ever come against me in life and not just survive but be an overcomer because that's the seed line that I am from. Anybody else here with me on the same seed line? So as the people of God, we are not just surviving. God has been down so low in times that he didn't have but one man that he could put his hands on that was identified in the full word. He got down to three or four. He got down to eight. He got down to a dozen. He's got down pretty low, but he don't really take that many to be able to prove his point. You see, the devil counts his crowd, but God weighs his because it's in character and not in number. So it, it's not like that the Lord has to have 50 million or 100 million or whatever more. All God needs is those whose names are in the book of life, the Lamb's book, and God prophesies about them, whether it's 10,000 or 10 million, they fulfill what God says, and God is perfectly satisfied with all of those that he has allotted, and the devil may have many, many more, but God don't go by numbers, God goes by prophetic fulfillment. So you see, whenever the world is looking for all kinds of people to join their side, we're not looking for crowds. We're not looking to see how many is on our side. We're looking to see what's right and wrong. Is that right? Now, looking at this, you know, the spirit of the last days then on the world is for them to be able to do what they want to do. And then we've got this anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-religious aspect. I'm sure you've seen it this week of this uh, rapper that has teamed up with a sports shoe company and he uh, had, a, had a pair of shoes that was made and on the shoes there were 666 pairs of these shoes that they were going to make and they had the scripture of Luke written on the side each pair of those shoes has a drop of human blood that is embedded in the sole of the shoe and the advertisement of it is that it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven now this is a rapper guy and he's a real you know different sort of a guy and really got a lot of negative feedback from a lot of Christians thank God they're still enough that had enough boldness to say something about it but whenever they put these shoes on sale and they sold for an incredible amount in about two minutes time every one of them was gone I found it was absolutely amazing here we've been preaching about the mark of the beast and they have these shoes that's all numbered and they're going to be 666 pairs of them but yet in reality those shoes are not the mark of the beast some of the message folks are saying that if you take the immunization for COVID that's the mark of the beast. You need to go back and read your Bible. Well, come on, saints. And we realize that a lot of this is nothing but Satan to get people sidetracked and they're more concerned about, you know, they're, they're against the left and against this and that and the other than they are being filled with the Holy Ghost. And they've got to get on face back, the book or face black or face pink or whatever you want to call it. And they know more about Facebook than they do God's holy book. 
A lot of them know my. As soon as their phone goes off and beeps and chirps and laughs and whatever it does, that's their Facebook notification. And they'll read it even if they're in church. And they could not quote 10 scriptures word for word because they're so tied up. I wish somebody would preach with me tonight. They're so tied up in the things of the world and so tied up with how many likes they've got on their Facebook. I hope God likes you as much as your Facebook people does. I'd rather be liked in heaven than Facebook, believe me, any day. But while all that is going on, there is another aspect to this, and that is that we're not looking to be accepted by the world. As a matter of fact, we have it in the Word, we have it in types, that we're going to be hated, we're going to be despised, we're going to be misunderstood, we're going to be disliked. And by the way that the world looks at it, we'll just be honest and frank tonight, they will, by all identification, call us a cult. Now, we know that that's been so ever since the dawn of time. And whenever you look at the meaning of cult and look what it means, it is a small gathering of a religious group of people which believe something that is different from the mainstream or that which is unorthodox, which means that Moses was a cult leader. It also means that Enoch was a cult leader. It also means Jesus Christ was a cult leader. It means that Paul was a cult leader. It certainly means that Noah was since there wasn't but eight on his boat. So whenever you look at it in the eyes of the world, that's exactly what they look at. Now, just in case anybody has stumbled on our website tonight and you're not sure what kind of church we are and you're wondering if we hand out colored drinks, we do to the pastor. The people in the church do not drink Kool-Aid. The pastor is the one who drinks the drinks here. So we do not hand out Kool-Aid, Gatorade, Coke, 7-Up, coffee, and so on. But the pastor is the one here who drinks the drinks. So if you're worried about coming here and afraid that we hand out drinks, well, let me say it this way. The only time that we hand out uh, something for everybody to drink is whenever we take the blessed communion and the foot washing. Amen. But as far as being identified in that way, sure, we're going to be called everything in the world, and God will judge every one of those people who call his bride by that name. You see, Paul said, I worship by the way which is called fanatical or heretical, as it was in his day. By the word which is called heresy, that is the way I worship the God of our fathers. So it is to be expected that we're going to be lacking ridiculed and made fun of. But does that stop the real people of God? It does not. We just brush it off and we go ahead and do what we are called to do. So part of the spirit of the last days is to come against religion altogether. Those people are doing that. They're gathering together. The people in government are gathering together and they're wanting to bring all kinds of legislation to where that you will not be able to even pray. Australia has already in the process of it right now. A brother from there sent me a, a news article of it to where that a minister, a pastor, a priest, if someone
one is homosexual or bisexual and they go to a pastor and they tell him they know that they're wrong and they want to be prayed for and they want to be counseled and delivered. If that man actually ministers to them, he can be arrested and put in jail. Now, not that he went out there and tried to convert them, but they on their own choice came to him. Now, we know that this uh, sodomy agenda is going to be around the world. Now, whenever Lot, in Lot's days, it was focused on mainly five little small towns in the area of the Dead Sea. And we know even sodomy and sodomites, they received their name because this was not a predominant thing around the known world. But at that time, for whatever reason, it was very predominant in that area. And in our own law books of the United States of America, not so long ago, it was against the law. Well, praise the Lord. Come on, saints. It was against the law. But as we go on in time, it will become where it is against the law for preachers like me to speak against it. And for people like us to try to witness to such and tell them there's a better way. And you don't have to go that way. But will we stop and will we compromise and say, well, now, you know, maybe we should reconsider now and maybe we should start ordaining homosexuals and maybe... I should start marrying two men. Nope. Nope. Maybe I should start marrying two women to be accepted. Nope. Show me in the Bible where Paul did or God did and I will. Until you do, I will continue to do as the Bible tells us to. Praise the Lord. Now, why do we do this? You, you, you know, you may wonder, why, why, Brother Donnie, do we have to be so different? Why do we have to be different? Why cannot we be different and just be private about our difference? And why do we have to be public? Well, you know, this has been God's way since sin came on the earth in the very beginning. That God was never the type of God that allowed his people to believe his truth and believe it in total silence and remain in the oblivion to where no one knew it. As a matter of fact, God called his people out in every age and every time frame and God would do it on purpose and give them particular things about them. Their mannerisms, their behavior, their clothes, the food they would eat and he would intentionally make them stick out on purpose so that people would know that they were something different about them. So God never camouflaged his people among the world with worldliness so that the world would look straight at them and never know that they were any different from them. No, God always made his people stick out. Why? That is God's way. Now Satan comes along and wants to try to convince the people of God that they can be God's people and they can be elect and they can be all this holy, holy this and that and the other, but they can put on camouflage so they can look like the world and the women can paint their face, cut their hair off and the men can wear earrings and men can, you know, dress like women and women dress like men and they can look just like the world and act like the world and talk like the world, but they can be so godly and so holy and so pure in their soul and so much like the holy angels of God, but they're so camouflaged with worldliness that the world will look right at it. I'm not sure where you're getting that at, but it ain't in the Bible. Come on now, saints. That is not found in the pages of God's word. 
But you see, what we are is the culmination of the act of separation that started in the book of Genesis. And that was that God started separating the light from the darkness. Now we know when we pick up on the scene in the book of Genesis that whenever Moses tells us in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and then stopped, period, into the sentence. Now the prophet said that it could have been millions maybe of years before we go into this next verse. And surely when we look as the verse unfolds in chapter two, and the, or verse two rather, and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. So we see from Genesis 1.1 to Genesis 1.2, it looks as if though there was some sort of cataclysmic change that had come upon the earth. Because we know that the Bible tells us that God, when he made everything, it was absolutely perfect. So there must have been some sort of something that happened to the earth when it was void and without form and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God spoke and said, let there be light. So God separated by the spoken word the light from the darkness. And the rapture is the culmination of thousands of years of it heading up in Gentile church ages of that word still unfolding. You see, when God sent Martin Luther, he was still obeying on that word, let there be light. And there was in the days of justification. Whenever Wesley came, the same word unfolded. Now, I hope you understand. In the days when God sent Malachi 4 in this last generation, that word is still unfolding, let there be light. Now, some of us that was in darkness, what happened? Let the people ridicule and say whatever they wish. But when we heard that voice, there was something about that word that illuminated where we were. Now, it might hit you and pass your mother and hit you and past your brother or whatever more but all of a sudden something come open inside of you and you begin to see things you'd never seen before what was it the light pulled you to itself and it pulled you out of the darkness that you were born in and then you were separated in your soul unto what the light of God now that started the dividing of the light and the darkness in your life every day we still deal of course with the same thing now, when God started dealing with his people, it was in this same process. Now, God could not separate the light from the darkness and still leave them together. Totally impossible. So God separated the light from the darkness and he renamed them. Now, in this state of union, there's no need to call the light, uh, call it day and then the darkness night. There's no need because you look right at it and it's all exactly the same thing. It's this dark, dismal time and you can't see anything. So the spoken word says let there be light and there was light then God said let there be a firmament in the heavens which will divide it and let there be light and let the light gather together and he called the light day and the darkness he called that now before that division there was no day and there was no night it was all dismal it was dark that's your that's your prior to your new birth that's the way you were in your soul now you might have thought you were happy oh I had such good times 
you might have, but they were good times in sin. You see, not one day prior to your new birth did you ever have a day in your life that could actually be called daylight because you were still under the dark, you understand, the dark, dismal thing of your natural birth. And that's why when we come to Christ by a word birth, we are so changed and so different, we'll never be the same again. But what's amazing is that once you come to him and you're born by the spoken word, then you start experiencing these contrasting feelings. Now in the world, even when you had happy times and whenever you go into the sad times, they were not near as extreme to many as they are after you get born again. Because when you're born again, you're born in today, but you're still affected by the nighttime that's around you. When you were in the world, you had good times, but you were still night. You you had good times, but you were still dark. But now you've been born by light and you're in the daylight. And But whenever you come out from underneath that influence, my goodness, you feel like you've moved from one world to another. You have. You've walked out of this bright illumination of light and now you're feeling the experience of you know sickness and sadness and depression and sorrow and whatever more. When God started dealing with his people, he wanted to make them not that they would be awed by their own choices. That they would look and think well this will make me odd and this will make me different. Now God I want to be really weird for you. I want to be really strange and I want to be weird. And we know there's people like that. But God doesn't want us to be weird by our own choice. God does not want us designing things in our own mind and say well we can't do this and we can't do that. And we just do what the word tells us and you'll be alright. Let's just stay with the scripture and say what the message of God tells us and will be all right. So God within itself has always divided his people from the darkness. But the parallel is now that God is not going to call us out and going to put us over here. Uh, we'll say we'll go over on Rome Mountain somewhere and we'll buy about 30 acres or 40 acres and we'll all move over there and we'll move little single wide trailers and double wide trailers and we'll grow our own maters and our own taters. There probably ain't half the congregation here that could grow a mater in the first place. Would everyone starve to death? Come on now, you might as well be honest, me included. I never did like gardening. <laughs> so God is not calling us to be like Amish, Mennonite, Hutterite, all that sort of thing, that we have our own community, that we have our own money, but God wants to save us and so fill us with the Holy Ghost and let the light of God emanate out of our souls. And he said, so let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So he saves us, fills us with the Holy Ghost, and then he will may allow you to be a, you know, a whatever it is, a painter, a farmer, a, a, you know, a converter guy, whatever it is, and he will allow you to work with people that are as lost as they can be, or just church members, and they'll cuss, I mean, they just cuss awful. And at the same time, God will let your light shine under those men or women that you work with, you understand? But he wants to divide our souls from the power of darkness and then put a mark on us that will make us stand out to where people will know that we are different. Watch this in Genesis chapter 12. We'll pick up with God starting to deal with, with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out 
of thy country. Now, you know, I'm not very deep and you know that, uh, but this is not a very deep message, is it right here? This is pretty simple. If you can't understand that, you're, you're pretty beyond simple yourself. Get thee out of thy country. Now, here God, the first dealing with his name, this man under his old name, Abram, and God says, this is what I want you to do. So he don't even know this God. Now, remember, according to history, they worshiped idols. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, whenever Stephen is preaching and he talks about them and they worshiped idols on the other side of the river. So here his, his beginning was a Gentile. Abraham wasn't even a Jew. He was the first one to be called out. But all of his family and all that prior to that, they were absolute heathens. And the history, history tells us by the historians that Abraham himself, his father, had a God shop and sold all kinds of gods. And Abraham would sell gods. Boy, I'm so glad that we don't have to do that. And whenever maybe somebody would come to and they'd want to buy this God and they'd reach over and pick it up on the shelf and we'd say, this God was a Gatorade God. We'll just call him a Gatorade God. So we picked him up and boy, I'll tell you what, wow, wow, what can he do? Oh, let's see here. He's got 235 grams of calcium. He's got so much sugar. Oh my goodness, that thing's got 32 grams of sugar. Oh my. So we, oh wow, wow. And all of a sudden, ah! Oh my, oh look what a, I bit that God's head. Look at that. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh, oh no. Abraham Abraham said, don't don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. So Abraham would go in behind there and Abraham would take this God and he... Oh, I readjusted that God's neck. Now, isn't that amazing? I dropped that God and I damaged that God and that I went over there and just a little simple pull of my wrist and I was able to readjust. Aren't you glad your God ain't that flimsy? Ain't you so glad that your God cannot be dropped down and adjusted and readjusted and dented and all that sort of thing? Oh, there must have been something because we know the seed of God was down in Abram. He must have, when he would go back there and repair those gods and fix them and, you know, do this and that, maybe somebody would drop one and break it and he'd take a little bit of that glue, whatever they had in that day, and he'd patch up that old God, Brother Stewart, and he'd look at that and say, wow. And then somebody would come in and they'd buy that repaired God and then they'd walk out and Abraham's sitting there and he's hard thinking, how can this be God? There's got to be more to God than this. So we don't know exactly what the introduction to El Shaddai was to Abram. We really don't know what was the first thing that he done. But we know this is early on in the stage of his journey by which he had made himself known. Now think how strange this was that he had not yet been made known in this part of the world. Now think of it that Satan from the very beginning after man had come out on the ark, on the ark and then the human race began to spread over the earth through the three sons of Noah and here come the Shemites or the Semites and they would come out from which that Abram himself descended and they come from Ur of the Chaldees and then they move up north into the northern part of what we know as the modern day Iraq and as they moved higher into the north and they moved into the city of Haran and as they go into this city of Haran here they come and there they stay for many many years and God began to reveal 
reveal himself to this man. Now what a peculiar thing that this God is not really known. So here we've got a man that hears a voice. And this voice tells him, I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave your mother. I want you to leave your brother. I want you to leave your country. Now, Iran had been there, been there for a long time. So I want you to leave everything. Now, he said, who, who are you? I, well, what is your name? He never even gave him his name. Right. I want you to leave. Now, he never even told him, well, where do you want me to go? He said, just get out. Now, you imagine as Abram goes and he goes to tell his wife, and I said, uh, I met this God today. And uh, you met a God? You mean a real one? Yeah, not the kind, you, not that Gatorade God. I mean, this seemed like a real God. I mean, not them kind that I've repaired, you know, and, and polished them up and everything. But this one actually spoke to me. Oh, a, a God spoke to you? Now, remember, they were polytheistic in that they believed in more than one God. So God is now going to start revealing his deity, and he picks this man here to start revealing himself. Now, in one sense of the word, it was as if though this was a new God. It was not a new God. It was the only God. But it had been through a time of silence after Noah's day and whenever the civilization had got into darkness again, that darkness had covered over the earth. So what was it? God was once again speaking as he did in the book of Genesis chapter one, let there be light. So when God spoke, now he's not dealing so much with just the planet, but the inhabitants who hold seed in their soul. So God is speaking now and he said, let there be light. So that word, landed in the very heart of a heathen called Abram. Now this God appears to him and tells him, uh, now the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Now you see, we don't understand this because we're Westerners. But as long as the father lived, now I say this way, that if a man had uh, seven sons and every one of them got married and they would move out, they'd start their own home, it wasn't like they went in a total different neighborhood, they stayed right there with their father. They stayed and they may have another tent, but they was all, and this is the way their clan as they called it, their clan expanded and the father become the patriarch of the family. So there were seven sons and their wives and then they all had kids and they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and your father, if he was 95 and you was 50, he was still your head. And you honored him and you paid homage homage to him. You never made big major decisions without him. So you can imagine when this God began to speak to Abram and said, I want you to leave this place. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave all of your family. And I want you to leave your daddy. Now you see, Abraham was not an American boy whenever he's got to the age of 16, that he's wanting to leave daddy's house anyway. Because daddy won't let him do this, and daddy won't let him do that, and daddy won't let him do that. They didn't raise their young ones that way. As a matter of fact, if Abram been 75 years old, he would have still been subject to his father's jurisdiction in the home because he would have been the clan leader. 
Now, whenever this God speaks to him, and he had nobody else that he could go talk to. So let's just set this way in the modern day terms. So Abraham got on Google, and Abraham started typing in, God speaks an audible voice. So Abraham started looking down through there, and he couldn't find not one reference that God had spoke to anybody in that generation. And he started trying to check this God out. Now they had no Bible and it didn't have any written, uh, you know, documentaries of it or any written history of it, no oral history of it. So Abraham's trying to check out this voice that started talking to him. He had no references he could find. They didn't have radio, television. They did not have newspaper. They didn't have internet, smartphones, iPhones, none of that sort of thing. But all he knew was when this voice spoke to him, it seemed to have a ring of truth. Now, I don't mind telling you, if Abram, without all of these things to check out the living God, was able to step out on faith, I want you to imagine the damnation that waits the people of this generation whenever God's work, God's prophet, God's truth has witness after witness after witness after witness after witness and they still turn it down. Oh, my goodness. Now, how would you like to be, we'll take Abram's name out and put your name, or your name, or yours, or yours. And you come home telling your wife, a God talked to me today, and he told me to leave our home. Our home? Leave our, our country? Where? Well, he didn't tell me where to go, he just told me to leave. Well, that don't even make sense, Skip. Why, Nathan, that don't even make sense. What, where did he tell you to go? I don't have a clue. I'm not even sure. He just told me to leave. He made it sound like that once we got out, he'd show me where to go then. Well, I never heard such nonsense in my life. What kind of God is that that don't even tell you where to go? Are you going north, south, east, west? Which way are you going? I'm not really sure. Now, of course, all of your sisters have just packed up your little young ones and all your suitcases and just got on your donkeys and everything, wouldn't you? Just moved right on out behind your husband. If you were daughters of God, you would have. Now, think of it. We look at it in our day and we think, my, this great man of faith. And we pull these stories through our Western understanding. But that's not the way it happened at all. Now, notice God says, now the Lord has said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. So he don't even know where that he is going. Now, the idea of faith, I love the way Moses stresses this, because the idea of faith is what is stressed in the whole composition of this. So he's going to leave his country, his people, and his father's house. Isn't it amazing that God tells him what to leave and God is very descriptive in what to leave and God is very, very void in where to go. Leave your country, leave your household, leave your father, leave all of it. And then God said, oh, and I'll show you where to go once you get out. So why in the world would God be so descriptive as far as where he has to go and don't even tell him or tell him where he's coming from and he don't even tell him where? Oh my, what was it? An unparalleled act of faith. How are you going to check out this God? Praise be to God. Unto the land that I will show thee. God didn't name the land. 
God didn't describe the land. God never gave him no directions, no GPS, <laughs> nothing. You see, God is now starting to deal with another dispensation of his grace, and that is unconditional covenant. God sees that there's nothing in man to be able to help him keep a covenant. He just can't do it. So the keynote of Abraham's life was what? One word, separation. So how is God going to establish the father of the faithful on one keynote word of separation and let his Gentile children mingle and mix with the world and drink and run around and act like the world and they're going to join right into heaven and sit right at the table with Father Abraham. They didn't have to give up their drinking. They didn't have to give up their, their mind or all their filth of the world. They didn't have to give up nothing that hindered them in life. They was able to drink and run around and marry and divorce and marry and divorce and live with how many ever girlfriends they wanted at one time and they're going to walk into paradise and sit down at that table and look across the table at a man that was commanded to leave his house, his father, his country. Can't you see, friends, how contrary the modern-day gospel is to the truth? You see, Lot still had this identity of worldly alliances. Lot and his wife, and we know he was greatly impressed by his wife, of course. And it was him that he needed this identification because Abraham lived this life up there in the plains of memory. And he lived under this great big oak that God had appeared to him over and over again. And they were by themselves. There was a small clan, uh, 300 and something people whenever they got ready to go fight warriors. So maybe six, 700 people, pretty good sized church. But yet in comparison, to the rest of the world, it would have been very, very small. One of the meanings of the word cult is that it is people who rally around certain beliefs that are different than most everybody else. Or people that will rally around a certain person, which certainly would have been identified as the Abraham cult. Now, God never appeared to Sarah and told her to do this. God never appeared to Lot and told him to do it. So you've got one man's word for this whole move. Now, I want to ask some of you Happy Valley folks, if you were living in the days of Abraham, what would have been your choice? If you was under the, under the administration, we'll say, of Abraham, and Abraham come and he started his clan and they had some slaves and stuff that he bought with his money, and he told him, now look, we're leaving. We're leaving next week. Y'all get your stuff ready, tell your mom and daddy bye. Where are we going? I don't know, but we're leaving. Well, do you mind if we ask? No, sure, I don't mind if you go ahead and ask. Well, why are we leaving? Well, because this God appeared to me. Well, what's his name? I'm not sure. Where is he from? I don't know, but I know he ain't a Gatorade God. Amen. He's a real God. I, I, I know he's real. I just felt it. Right. Yeah, you're a cult sure as a world. So, well, is there anybody else on the earth that knows about this God? And Abram could say, as far as I know, nobody. Uh-oh. You mean you expect us to take off following you to who knows where 
and you're the only one that knows the opening of the seven seals? You're the only one that... Don't you see, friends, if a lot of the modern-day folks that have pulled away from the message and they've got to have newspaper clippings and they've got to have all this witness and this and that and the other, or they will not follow the message, don't you see what they've done in the days of Abram? They'd have stayed right back down in Haran. They'd have never left with Abram. Why? Because whatever you are now, no matter what dispensation you would have lived, that would have been the way you would have lived then. You see, for those of us that really believe this word, if I would have been in the days of Abram, I I went right with him. I would not have been able to understand it. I would not I would not have joined Lot. There ain't no way. Uh, come on. I would not have joined Lot if I'd been in the days of Noah. I'd been hammering on the boat. I'd been pitching pitch. I'd have looked like I don't know what, but I'd have been out there saying, glory to God, it's gonna rain. Children, it's gonna rain. If I'd been living in the days of Luther, I'd have said, that old Catholic whore, we gotta be delivered from that old thing. If I'd have been living in the days of Wesley, same thing, well, I didn't get to live in any in their days and I did not actually get to live and visit under the days when Elijah himself preached in Branham Tabernacle but I, let me I say this I have lived in the after years of that ministry being on the earth and this is why I am identified with the message of Malachi 4 I do not apologize I ain't going to take it back I'm not going to hold back that I believe that William Marion Branham was the seventh angel messenger he fulfilled Revelation 10 1 to 7 Malachi 4 5, 6, Luke 17, 30. Come on, saints. I believe it was a message vindicated by Almighty God. I do not apologize, and if you don't like it, go to another website. Wow, what a peculiar thing this must have been. So if you want to know, you're introduced to the message and you want to know, is there anybody else in the world that believes this? Type it in. You can find all kinds. But can you imagine one man as far as you know in the earth? One man. Everybody else is polytheistic. Everybody else believes in all kinds of gods. Gatorade God, chocolate God, TV God, basketball God. They, they, you know, I said in our modern terms, they have all kinds of gods. And God has revealed himself to this one man. And there's one human being on the earth that light has sprung in his soul. Praise God. Praise be to God. Notice how Brother Ram says this. God never did bless Abraham until he separated himself from Lot. Now, Abraham separated from Ur of the Chaldees and he separates from Haran. And his father died. He leaves there. And he leaves his former occupation, repairing Gatorade gods. But he still takes along Nephew Lot. Well, praise the Lord. I'm afraid a lot of our message people still have some lots. We have lots of lots. 
we have lots of this and lots of that and lots of something else. And then we wonder why the fullness of the blessing of God does not come on our life. Now, I'm not talking about money now. I'm not talking about bigger houses, finer cars. I'm talking about the full blessing of God. Victory to overcome. Peace in your life. Victory to overcome temptation. That's more important to me than having big, fine homes and all that sort of thing. All that's well and good, the natural sign. But I'd rather have peace and power and understanding and revelation than be able to build a brand new house bigger every year and drive a better car and a better truck and a yacht and this, all that's going to burn up after a while anyway. But to me, the blessing of God is the light of God on your soul. Now, God had revealed himself to Abram, still under the old name, and he told him to come out. And he did with Lot. But I want you to notice, the prophet said, that's the reason today, church, may I say this with the heart of a minister of Christ. That's what's the matter with our church today and our churches. We've got to absolutely separate ourselves from the things of the world. And as long as we're still hanging on to little things of the world, God will never pour out his blessings and bless us the way he wants to because he can't do it. Now you imagine, here's God that wants to bless us, but he can't do it because we won't allow him because of Lot. But the devil turns it around in our mind and said, you've asked him and you've asked him and you've asked him and he won't do it for you. You're probably not bride. He probably don't love you like she loves everybody else. And the truth of it is, it's your own lots in your life that's hindering the blessing of God. But Satan always wants to turn it around and make him look bad. He ain't going to blame you. He ain't going to put it right back on you because there's something about us that Adam gave to us. It's always somebody else's fault and not ours. Oh my. Notice this. God did one thing after he chose Abraham. He called for separation. And that's the one thing God does when he calls, notice now, when he calls any man or woman, separate yourself from the world, get out from among your kindred. He said to Abraham, and I'll bless you. If you'll notice, he never did bless Abraham until he separated himself from all his kindred, lot and all. Oh, praise God. Now God said, then Abraham, in order to walk with me, you've got to separate yourself from the rest of the world. God demands. Look, friend, this is not God asking. I would like it better. Would you care to? Would you mind doing this? God demands. God demands a total separation. But you want to bring a lot of the world along with you. Oh my, God never did bless Abraham until he separated himself and done what God told him to do. He'll, you'll never receive the Holy Ghost. Notice how he says this, in the fullness. You'll never walk in the Spirit of God until you totally separate your things from unbelief. Get away from the world, come out of the world. Now, Abraham was like most of us. He gives a tremendous sacrifice and he leaves his father, he leaves his country, he leaves this and he leaves that. But as he leaves, he brings something along with him which is going to prove to be a great hindrance. Oh my, if y'all get any quieter, the mouse, mouses will be louder than you all. 
Come on, little mousies. Can y'all squeak amen every now and then if the people don't? Notice what God says in verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. That's right, if you separate yourself. But you see, the real elect of God that are illuminated this, and what happens, friends, whenever we look at this revelation, I know maybe you've never thought it this way, but whenever you look at separation, the way that it really is, it'll be one of the most profound things that God will ever be able to reveal to you as an individual. It will help you to understand why you must separate from the world and sometimes even family members. Family members that you love, but you will have to separate from them in that I don't mean that you're mean or you're hateful or you don't have the right attitude. We can be separate and still have the right attitude toward people. Is that right? But you may not be able to walk with them. Look at Abraham. Why would God tell him to separate from his father? Because his father was never a word believer. Lot was never a full word believer. He always was a penny. He had a penny's worth of face. That's all he could ever buy. And him and Abraham could never walk together because Abraham was a silver dollar. And it would take a hundred lots to ever make one Abraham. And you just can't fellowship a penny, put his arm around a dollar and look at him and say, brother, because they're two different currencies, two different values, one on the Lamb's book of life and the other on the book of life. And notice it's so hard when we have to separate. And many of you have had to separate, you know that. And we know that even in the very last phase of separation, don't you see what the rapture is? The rapture is the culmination of what God said. Separate light from darkness. And what will happen to those of us that are alive whenever the rapture takes place? The darkness of our mortality will actually leave in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. And God will somehow change our bodies into eternal bodies. Why? The darkness will leave out of our mortality and it will be eternal life in a human body. That's right. So for those of us who look at it in the right way, it is actually a privilege, a privilege to be separated by God. It is a privileged class or category that is able to walk in this blessed state of separation. Now I want you to notice this in Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after after that lot was separated from him. Now God made the promises in Genesis chapter 12, but God could not fulfill the promises until Genesis chapter 13. It was being hinged upon the phase of obedience. Oh, I hope somebody's gonna hear me tonight. Notice after Lot then looked around and said, all right, I, I, I can't hang around the message no more. I, I can't take it. My wife comes to church and every time the pastor gets up there, he blasts Bob Harry, he blasts Maybelline and Mascara and my wife and my daughters, you know, and, you know, and me, here I am, I'm sitting here and I've got an earring in my ear and a nose ring and a toes ring and I've got earrings all over me and I'm trying to be a witness, really? I'm, I'm trying to be a witness. And, and you, you, you look like a girl. Lord, children, I passed the other day and seen a man sitting up here in Johnson City. I mean, that man probably weighed, Lord, two, three hundred pounds, sitting there with a dress on. A dress. I thought, Lord Jesus, please come get us out of this place. 
said now to stop sign begging for food with a dress on. So you say, what in the world is the matter with people? They lost their minds. And do we want to separate from this? We certainly do. And we would look at that and say, oh, that's terrible, that's terrible. For most of us, that man will never hinder a one of us. Our greatest hindrance is ourselves. And this is where the final separation will be. It's not that man's lot, it's your lot that'll get you in trouble. Now, notice, so when Lot had looked towards Sodom and he said, look, you know, we just can't get along no more. We've got to separate. Abraham said, all right, that's the way you want to go. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. And God just held his peace. God just never said a word. But immediately, now notice, you'll read chapter 13, verse 13, whenever you get home. And if you read this, it's the very next verse. Do you understand? Some of you may not be but one verse away from getting the true fullness of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You may not be but one verse away from getting a complete deliverance in your life of a besetting sin or maybe a, a sickness or something that's going on in your life. And there's one little thing there that still hinge. And what is it? It's a lot. A lot of foolishness, a lot of this, a lot of that. And a lot of something, that lot in your life. And God is waiting for that verse to move from verse 13 when you are willing to let go. Now Josephus tells us that Abraham actually had adopted Lot because he didn't think he'd ever have a son. So it was very difficult because he held two positions in Abraham's heart. He was a nephew and he was an adopted son. And he loved him so much. You can imagine it would have been a very difficult time. And it was part of their family tradition. Ah, now we're getting to the problem. Well, it's part of our family tradition to do this and that and the other. And that's why God told Abraham, leave. Leave your family tradition because according to their family tradition, his father had the authority to say, I refuse to allow you to believe this trash. This is garbage. Stop it. Now. So God said, get out. I will now be your father. I will be your God. I will be your head. Oh, thank you, Lord. Notice, and the Lord said to Abram, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes. And look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. All the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. How long would God have held this verse, Harry? Another year? Another five? Another 10? However long it took until Lot started separating away from Abram. But God allowed a little family issue to raise up. Now we know that the herds started getting bigger and the flocks were growing and the shepherds of Abraham got into an argument with the shepherds of Lot. And the problem was over feeding rights. Of who had the ability to feed where? So do we just listen to tapes or do we go to church and do we believe in preachers or do we play tapes and listen to preachers because that's what the tapes tell us to do and we don't deny listen to tapes, amen? Or do we fuss and fight? It was over feeding rights and they finally had a separation among them. <laughs> 
And when it come to this, it began to draw the line. And you imagine Almighty God allowing this. I wonder if many of you could trace back in your own life. When family issues arose or job issues arose and God forced you, God forced you to make a decision. And if he hadn't done it, some of you would still be where you were. Because it's that laziness about human nature, but God forced the issue. Boy, I'll tell you one thing. He knows how to pull your arm behind your back and he'll twist till you say uncle or God. And he'll put the pain on you. I mean, he'll put the pain on you until you make that move. And it may not be what you want to do at the time, but once you'll do it, you'll say, glory to God, I'm so glad I left. I'm so glad I done this or that or the other because it was God that wanted you to do it. Oh my, notice this in verse 16. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise and walk through the land in the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Look at now what breaks open for him after he breaks ties with the final family member which was holding him captive. But yet in reality, Abraham usurped the position of elder as the head of the clan. And even though Lot was superior, apparently him, his wife, his servant, somebody was sowing negative stuff among them. And God said, I'll never bless you. Isn't it amazing? God never told him, walk through the land. Oh my, get into the word. Get into the message. Walk into the whole land. Oh, it's yours. God never told him to do this until this separation. Is separation painful? How many of y'all had to separate? Sure you have. Family members, loved ones, my, my, we've all been there. Many of us, whenever we come to the message, and yet that was difficult for many of us. I've been there. Many of you have been there as well. Many of you never separated whenever you come to the message because many of you were born in the message. So you sat there in a message church and this and that and the other. Your separation come after you realize there was more to the message than just preaching for 75 years that God sent a prophet. Whenever you begin to realize that prophet had something to say and you go to looking in the message and realizing that that message is not just pointing to the prophet but it's pointing to Jesus Christ and his bride. And then many of you started being your fingers pointed at you and made fun of you and ridiculed and all that and you experienced a more painful separation sometimes than what even I did or others did when you initially come to the word. But let me tell you right up front, each of us are gonna have to separate. We will have to separate from the lots in our lives. It might be your grandfather, it might be your mother, it might be your own mentality, it might be your own makeup, it might be your own views of this and that and the other. And whenever you do, will it hurt you? It'll hurt, I promise it'll hurt so bad. But whenever you you finally separate, then God will open up a portion of this land to you that you've never seen before, and God will say, come walk with me, child. Come on, come walk with me. Come and go to the length of it. Go look how much God opened up to him, Brother Skip. God didn't say, now go out about five feet, and then turn around, and go out about another five feet, and turn around. But God said, I want you to just start walking. I want you to go plumb to the other end. And then when you get to the other end, I want you to hang a big right 
and go out as far as you can go that way and then come back. Oh my Lord, have mercy. Friend, don't you realize that's where many of us have broken into? Many of you, that's what's happened to you. Oh my, when you got where God finally wanted you to be and the word just seemed like it broke open. You never had such battles in all your life. Oh, you said, well, I'm wondering if that's where I'm supposed to be. One of the best signs you've ever had that you're where you're supposed to be when all hell breaks loose. Why? Because now you're walking in your land in a place that you never knew was yours before. You just stood there on the back porch and said, wow. Wow. But when Lot left, he said, all right, Sarah, pack up lunch. No, on second thought, let's bring a picnic basket. We're going to take a journey. Where are we going, Abraham? We're going into our land. Oh my, then when we started realizing that Malachi 4 is just the introduction. That is the very messenger that God used as a voice to call us into this great wedding. Oh my, into this great thing. And then that's why we just keep on walking. Brother Donnie, reckon how long it'll go? It'll keep right on going until the rapture. Friend, we've never reached the length of it yet. We've not even turned and started back toward the breath. Oh, glory to God. Well, oh, you sound afraid we're going to run out. Don't you worry about running out. We are in a land that there is no end to. We have broke into eternity. So, I guess after God called Abraham and called him to separate then God never separated nobody else huh God just started well okay I've done this one time and I'll just let everybody else do whatever no Exodus chapter 33 verse 16 the children of Israel for when shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight is it not in that thou goest with us so shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. So the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, you know what that was? A token on the class that was separated from everybody else. The pillar of fire never appeared among the Philistines. The pillar of fire never appeared among the Romans. This is why you can search all the Vatican history that you want to. You'll never find a pope with a picture of the pillar of fire hanging over his head. Now if the pillar of fire was around him, it'd be burning his eyes, not hanging over his head. It wouldn't be crowning him. Come on now, you'll never find an Episcopalian. You'll never find a Baptist. You'll never find a Pentecostal, a Methodist, Unitarian, Christian science. But wherever you see the pillar of fire, he's identifying a message and a messenger of separation. Come out from among them, saith the Lord, and I'll receive you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my, oh, my people. I will be your father. You see, the divine token of fathership given to the beloved children is obedience into separation. So Moses said, herein shall we be known that we are separate. So how did God separate them? Of course, they couldn't get the Holy Ghost. So God gave them separation by dietary laws. God told them, 
eat this, don't eat that. Dress this way, do this certain thing. Have a riband of blue along the bottom of your garment. Don't mix linen and wool together. Don't sow your seeds in, in, in your garden. Whenever you do it, keep your seeds separate. Don't do this, don't do that. Notice what all of their things was. It was all physical on the outside. So if you were familiar with a Jew that would have been in Iberia, or you were familiar with the Jewish religion in Iran or Iraq, Persia, which it would have been at that time, if you were familiar with the Jew and they were true, no matter where you saw them around the world, you would have known they were a Jew because they had an identification that they were separate. Though they might live right next door to you, whenever you saw them walked out, they had this riband of blue along the bottom of their garment. You knew right there that it was a Jew. So God always separated his people. Don't you see the true baptism of the Holy Ghost separates us in the realm of darkness and light. And this is why when Brother Branham in discernment would look out upon people, and you've heard him say it as well as I have, I see you're a Christian. I see you're a believer. It turns light around you. He would look at others and say, that's really good faith for a sinner. For it is darkness around you. You're not saved. Or a mother coming up for her children. Oh, I see one, two, three children. They're all unsaved. It's darkness all around them. Now in that realm of vision, Satan don't have a measuring tape and measuring their hair to see, make sure that the hair is, you know, five-eighths of an inch above the ear and to make sure that the lady's dress is, is so long. But in that realm, every one of us pulsate one or two things. It's very simple. It's not just those that have a Cadillac and those that don't have a Cadillac and those whose dress is questionable. And those, no, demons don't even look at that so much. It's what pulsates from our being. From our being emanates rays of light light or streams of darkness. And this is the way they would communicate. So a person comes up on the platform and they would have cancer. And Brother Ram was standing there, you've got cancer, cancer, just a minute, just a minute, it moved. I said, oh, there it is. It's back over this woman back here. You've got exactly the same thing. Can't you hear it? Them demons are screaming to one another. So here this person had a demon of cancer. That person back there had a demon of cancer. There was a contact, but the contact was not light, but it was darkness. So there'd be a dark streak from person A to person B. Their souls communicating. The anointing on both of them in the realm of darkness. So he didn't follow, oh, you got a pink hat, you got a pink hat, or you're wearing the same size shoes as her. None of that. It was in that realm there was the darkness. Now you see, when God begins to call his people, he favored them with this divine impartation of light. So he showed them divine favor with light. And when the pillar of fire comes down and separates them at the Red Sea, what was it? It was light on one side and darkness on the other. And the very same manifestation. Let's stand together. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. You see the separation that the saints of God, the bride, is experiencing now will be the very thing that will keep us separated when the tribulation thing comes for it will take us from this world. 
It is that light that echoes the voice of Revelation 18.1. Come out of her, my people, and touch not the unclean thing. We will be preserved in truth and worshiping the living God because we are separated in light. Now, it's amazing to me that those who leave the message, one of the first things that many of the women will do is start cutting their hair, wearing pants, and one of the first things the men do is put on a pair of shorts. You big sissy. What do they do? The man moves into the domain of the woman, and the woman moves into the domain of the man. So they're struck right back into Babylon in perversion. Now, they want to post their pictures on Facebook, and they want you to see them. Why? Sign of their rebellion. The woman rebels and cutting her hair and putting on man's pants. And the men who leave the message will rebel and wearing their shorts, and they're proud of them. And they want us to know that they're proud. I'm glad the pillar of fire has separated me. Now maybe some of you men who left the message, maybe you've got pretty girly legs. Maybe that's the reason you want to show them. God gave me manly legs. They're ugly. I got naughty knees. I got hair on my legs. Except on the back where I sit and study so much and they're slick as an onion. Now, maybe some of you men have got such pretty legs that you think them legs of yours ought to be seen. But God never made me no pervert. God gave me man legs. That's exactly right. So I want my legs to be covered. Maybe you men are so pretty and you think your legs are so sexy that they ought to be visible. Well, I feel sorry for you, sissy. You belong to BSS. Oh, no, I didn't say that. That's what the prophet said. BSS, Big Sister Society. Well, hallelujah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Enjoy your rebellion. It'll meet you at the day of judgment. Oh, you all are in prison. You all can't do this. Don't you think I could walk into Walmart and buy a pair of shorts? Don't you think I could walk into Academy and buy a pair of pink shorts with green stripes and yellow polka dots? I don't want to. Amen. Don't you think our sisters could take scissors and cut their hair off? Sure they can do that. But the born again ones don't want to. Amen. Is that right? Amen. Is that right? Amen. Don't you think I've got enough ability to walk in and buy a fifth of whiskey or buy a pack of cigarettes? I could do that just like anybody else could. I have no desire to do such a thing. Oh, you're held by fear. I'm not held by fear. I'm held by love. Oh, you're in that prison wall. This ain't a prison wall. This is a castle wall. This is not a prison wall. Oh, y'all hold them people by fear. You tell me one person that's ever left this church that's ever been visited by me or visited by the deacons of this church and threatened or this or that or the other. Now, those of you who tell that are going to hell because you're lying on a servant of God. I control nobody here. If you want to smoke, smoke. You want to drink, drink. But I'll give you a good warning before you do. I will bust your hide. 
That's just part of the turf. <laughs> you see, separation to us. Oh, oh you, you can say, well, all these people are so sick. I mean, I'm saying, I wasted 40 years of my life being around the message. I wasted 40 years of my life. Really? You wasted it, did you? It's been the best 40 I've had. <laughs> oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, Brother Donnie, would you want to go back? I ain't got no way to get back. Burnt the bridges, destroyed the boats, I ain't got no way back. There'll be no turning back for the children of God. Oh my, you imagine after Abraham took three or four day journey down through there and if he could have thought, would I ever want to go back to, to Ur of the Chaldees? Would I ever want to go back to, you know, Lot said this and Lot said that and Lot's wife complained about this and she didn't like church order. She didn't like holiness preaching and she didn't like that. It broke my heart when they left, but I got to say, we're having better meetings now. <laughs> I figure time God gets to make believers gone and the unbelievers gone, ain't gonna tell what kind of meetings this bride's gonna have. There may be less of us, but there'll actually be more of us because we'll have more room, you know, to kind of space out. And just, <laughs> oh my. We'll have more room to walk in her land. See what God's made for us. Don't you love him? But Brother Donnie, you poor thing. You've been rain brainwashed since you was a kid. Have you ever smoked, Brother Donnie? Mm -mm. Ever drunk? Nope. Smoked a cigarette? Nope. You mean you've never really had no fun? Oh, no, you never said that. I've had so much fun in this world. I've had so much pleasure and so much joy. If the Lord tarries in a couple of months, Carol and I will turn 65 years old. I know I'm getting close to 65 because I'm getting all them letters in the mail about Medicare. They warned me that there's coming. I didn't have a clue how many that I was going to get. Medicare. You imagine Medicare. Do I regret giving my life to the Lord as a young man? By no means. By no means. My regrets are I wish I could have served him better. Amen. Wish I could have given more of myself to him. You mean you'd do it all again? Every bit of it. Amen. Praise God. I don't regret a mile. I don't regret a time that I've trusted him. I don't regret one day. And I could take my worst day, whatever it be, in serving God, and it's better than accumulation of a thousand days living for the devil. Is that the way you feel? Let's bow our heads together. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, maybe there's one or many. I don't know that needed to hear this tonight. Father, I pray, maybe it's a young person here or one that's streamed or one that will archive it. And they're struggling with separation. They're struggling with the reproach 
of being different. Maybe they're in high school. Maybe they're going to college. and They see people look at them. Maybe it's a sister, a young lady. And she bears such reproach for her dress and her hair. Father, I pray you would help her. Help her to realize it's an honor to bear the reproach for the Lord Jesus. I would, Father God, that the message people could understand. It was not William Branham that preached the first message of holiness and separation. It was Almighty God Himself. You started separating your people thousands of years before Brother Branham ever come on the earth. We can see from your example tonight that you had Moses to write of our father Abraham. After the Andalusian destruction and you started dealing with man again, and your first thing was separation. Lord God, I pray that you'd help each of us. May we understand, Father, that we are so blessed to be separated. I know the world don't understand, Lord. As Carol and I was talking to a business owner and operator in Elizabeth and just a few weeks ago and just talking to this individual and asking about, oh, yes, yes, I, I, know, I know some of your people. I know, she mentioned a sister here in our church. And then another one, yeah, yeah. There was somebody from your church come in here and bought something. I, I know them. They all wore skirts. That's all they know to say. But Lord, we know it's more than the skirts. It's the pillar of fire. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If we just wear skirts and we're not converted, we're no different than they are. Lord, we don't want just our sisters to wear skirts and our young ladies and our our brothers to dress like real men. But we want the main separation to be the pillar of fire that separates us from the darkness of the world. Grant it, Lord God. If there's one here tonight, Lord, and they wear the skirts, really because mom and dad wants them to, they don't wear makeup, they don't do those things, but really in their heart they want to, and they can't wait till they get old enough to be able to do it. Help them to realize, Lord, they need that separation of the pillar of fire to where he'll come down and divide that seed from the darkness it's living in because it's holding that seed from growing and becoming what you want it to be. Speak to them tonight, Father. Let there be light. Grant it, I pray. Help us, Lord Jesus, that we will not look at this as a captivity, as a bondage, as some sort of negativity. But we'll look at this as a privilege, an honor to be separated to the Lord our God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, don't you love him, children? I pray God makes it more real to your heart tonight than it's ever been before. Many of you have believed in holiness and you've believed in sanctification, even separation for years of your life. But I pray that God will make it more real. 
I pray more light will come on it. And you'll be able to walk into that phase of your life with even more joy of separation than you've ever had. It helps lighten the load. And when people look at you funny, it, it turns that from a feeling of shame or embarrassment or humiliation to a feeling of honor and a feeling that you have been illuminated by the light of God. How shall we know, Lord God? How shall we know? Because you have separated us unto yourself. Come out from among them, saith the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's just worship for a few minutes. Can we, before we go? Oh, praise the Lord. You got something, Mary? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The beautiful. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Come where the dewdrops of His mercy are bright. Shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus, the to walk into more of your land as a child of God. Maybe there's a, a lot of this or a lot of that that you need to let go of. Can we just for a few moments of rededication or consecration to the Lord. While you stand there, Lord, just search my heart. Look at me, Jesus. Is there anything there, Lord, that's hindering me from moving of this verse. So this verse, I own this much. But if I could separate from that temper, that maybe that worldly friend, maybe that would release me where I could move over into this verse and you would say, now lift up your hands. 
These things which you've not understood. You've been there in church and you've heard Brother Donnie preach it. Others preach, they say, God, I wish I could understand that. God, I don't understand it. If you'll leave that worldly friend behind, you'll be able to move over into this next verse. And then what you do, you get past the hurt and all of that sort of thing. And then he says, now child, come walk with me. Go to the lengths and the breadths. I'll show you places that you've never been before. Praise God. Anybody here tonight say, Lord, if that's me, would you reveal yourself to me? We'll walk in the light. Lord God, we have our hands raised up in your presence. Lord, if there's a worldly friend, maybe it's a besetting sin. Maybe it's anger, temper, resentment, a hard feeling. Maybe somebody said something against us and we've let it turn into a root of bitterness. Lord God, may you search us tonight, Father. If we could lay aside our, our bitterness, maybe it would release us from this verse of our inheritance to where we could open up into another verse. And they may never ask us for forgiveness, but Lord God, we don't want to be hindered in our own walk. I'm so glad you taught me that years ago, Lord. Father, there's preachers right now that I, I'm sure owe me an apology for things they've said about me and lies they've told on me. And I'm so glad I'm not sitting here waiting for them to call me up on the phone because more than likely a lot of them will never do it. But I'm so glad, Lord God, I've been able to move beyond verse two and say, Lord God, whether they ask me or not, I'm moving on. Let them do whatever, that's between you and them. I wanna go on into my land. There's lengths I'm sure I haven't reached. Depths I'm sure I've never been into. Breaths I'm sure I've never covered. Help me, Lord God. Help my sheep tonight, Lord Jesus. Help us, I pray, Father, that we can move into a deeper walk, a more consecrated place, Lord Jesus. All around us, by day and by night, it's the Lord Jesus, the light of... Let's sing it together now. Amen. Just open your heart in case he needs to show you something. We'll walk in the light. It's a beautiful light. Oh, yes. We'll walk where the dewdrops of mercy are bright. Shine on. This little light of mine, oh, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Oh, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine. 
Father, thank you for the opportunity, Lord, that was granted to us that we could be here together, Lord. Lord, I know there's different ones that's sick. Lord, Brother Jim Babb, Father, not feeling well, having a battle with his blood pressure today. We just pray for our brother in the name of Jesus. 
May the Spirit of God go to him right now, Lord, and touch him. Ashley, Lord, been sick up almost all night, Lord. Just been really, really sick. I pray for her. Father, I know we've got a few new ones here in the church that's tested positive for COVID. Father, we pray for your mercy to them. Others, Lord Jesus, that are dealing with various things. But we believe that you're our healer, our provider. Father, we want to thank you for all the healings that you've done among us, all the great things that you've done, Lord. Standing here tonight, Lord, Erica, and she's feeling so much better last week. We thank you for that, Lord. Dear God, the Green family and different ones are standing here tonight, Lord, that's been sick and doing better. Testimonies all around us of your grace. We want to thank you, Heavenly Father. Go with us now, Lord. Bring us back this weekend. As we come in commemoration of that great, great day, hallelujah, when you got up from the dead. We are so thankful, Lord, because you didn't do it for you alone. But the prophet said, you said, speaking to your wife, hallelujah, speaking to your wife and about your wife, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Speaking about you and us in that resurrection that you were raised for our justification. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Go with us now. Bring us back, Lord, I pray this weekend. We love you with all of our hearts. Go with us now, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you, saints. Oh, my, I almost told you around to shake hands with somebody. I'll tell you what, if you're in the same household, go ahead and do it. Bless your hearts. I mean, you want to hug their necks so bad, don't you? <laughs> oh, my. I seen Brother Harvey today and I went to barber shop, and one of the first things he said was, I hate this old mask. I told Carol I should have told him, Brother Harvey, that mask don't bother me at all in church. <laughs> Bless your hearts, children. I'll, I'll, I'll be so glad when you, you can get rid of them. I love you in the Lord. Amen. Go in the fear of God. Let's sing it together. No turning back. Amen. Be no turning back. Be no turning back. Oh, be no turning back. Be no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow my Lord. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow my Lord. No turning, be no turning back. Be no turning back. Oh, be no turning back. Be no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me.